we are in the middle of this Enjoy series, really, right in the middle of this Enjoy series. And we're going to give you a little gift as you leave today. It's this cool little uh, refrigerator magnet, and it says, uh, Enjoy Life, Enjoy Life. And then it says Rancho.tv there. It's pretty cool, very colorful. You're going to get these as you go, just as a reminder of this series and a reminder, really, of the invitation to enjoy life. Enjoy God. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. And today we're going to talk about what it means to enjoy church. But all of this is based on what Jesus says was the very purpose for him coming. Jesus says, I have one purpose. This is found in John 10, 10. He says, my purpose is to give you all a rich and deeply satisfying life. Isn't that cool? Jesus says, the whole reason why I'm here is to give you all a deep, and a rich and deeply satisfying life. That's pretty cool. I think for a lot of us, you know, we might think that our relationship with God is about us doing things for him. Jesus says, listen, my purpose is to do things for you. I'm here to give you a rich and deeply satisfying life. So we've talked about enjoying life, enjoying God, enjoying family, enjoying friends, and today we're gonna talk about enjoy church. Enjoy church. Now, for some of you, when you see this enjoy church idea, you're immediately thinking, of course I enjoy church, right? You might have a good time here at Rancho Church, and you might think, hey, I look forward to Sundays, whether you know, I'm here live or online or catching it later in the week. I enjoy church. I enjoy what it's like to, to understand His grace, understand His love, and be a part of a community of love and grace that does good not just for us, but for the world around us. Some of you might think, you know what? I was raised in church. It was a good church, a loving church. I had a good time in youth group. I had a bunch of friends in church. I have a, su- a sense of satisfaction in church volunteering or giving or serving or meeting the needs of people around me through my family of faith, you might think to yourself, I do really enjoy church. And that's my story. I have only been a part of one church, this one. I think I'm going on my 50th anniversary of being a part of Rancho Church, right? Uh, It's been here for 54 years. And when I was four years old, we started hanging around Rancho Church. It was the only church in town, so we didn't have much of a choice. But we weren't really the church going tight. And so we started coming on Easter and Christmas, just kind of the standard day. We've got to go to church. Let's go to the only one in town. How about we do that? And so we started coming. And then I realized as I got a little older that this place does actually care. It's not just about hustling worship services. They really do care. And when I got into middle school, I got plugged in. Uh, my family life wasn't fantastic. It wasn't the worst disaster, but it wasn't fantastic. But I looked forward to getting out of that house and getting to church on Tuesday nights. And they opened the door of Rancho Church and a bunch of snot-nosed middle school kids came in there and we had a ball. I mean, we were playing floor hockey and ditching and I mean, it was all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> we, got, we had a, a blast in there. And when I got to high school, um, I started realizing that I could probably give back. And I received some invitations. Hey, listen, you don't just have to come to youth group. You can actually help other people in youth group, right? You can help out junior hires. Well, I don't like junior hires, where you were one a half an hour ago, so get in there and go do some good, right? And I did, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Now, here I was, small podunk town called Rancho California at the time, so that's why we're called Rancho Church, for those of you who are confused. Uh, It was the name of the city, that's when I was here, and Rancho Church embraced not only me, but the community kids around us, and loved us, loved us. And we did all kinds of cool things. We went to other countries and we served other people and we learned a lot of things. And here I was, this insecure, stuttering kid who didn't think I could do much well at all. I mean, I was an insecure, stuttering kid. 
And this church poured themselves into me and many others. It says, no, we think you are good. We think you're good at this. You want to help out here? We think you're good at this. Can you help out here? We think you should lead a group of middle school students. No, I don't think so. Yes, you should. And off you go. We think you should lead this kind of group and lead this Bible study. I can't do it. I don't know enough. Well, you will. Now get in there. We think you should preach a sermon on Sunday. I'm 17 years old. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Get up there. And they realize quickly, no, I can't. Need a lot of help. But that's Rancho Church. And I absolutely enjoyed it. And then they got me more deeply involved in youth group. Then I became a youth pastor. I mean, some amazing things happened. And as a result, I have been able to live this really amazing life because of this church. The mentors I've had, the confidence that was built in, it was, it's been spectacular. As a result of Rancho Church, I've been to over 20 countries and five continents. I've experienced things that most people wouldn't dream of just because this place offered so many opportunities. I've been in the deepest part of rainforests and jungles with tribal people eating grub worms, monkeys jumping on my back. Um, I've been to Southern Russia touring and playing in a band to thousands of youth in Southern Russia. Visited some of the poorest places on earth imaginable, learning a lot from these amazing people, trying to bring sustainable help as much as possible. I delivered the Bible for the first time in a written language to a tribe in the Southern Philippine Islands. Uh, I have been transformed from an insecure, stuttering kid to a moderately secure uh, teacher and leader. And it's been a wonderful journey all because of this church. I met my wife in this church, had four kids in this church. Well, not in the church, but all four kids raised in this place. We educated our children in this church, Rancho Christian. They've spent six days a week of their lives, sometimes seven days, for 14, 15 years of their existence on this campus. And you know what? They're supposed to hate life right now and hate me and hate you. They don't. These are pastor's kids, preacher's kids, president of the school kids that loved being here six to seven days a week their entire life. I can't express the gratitude I have for this place a deep and profound gratitude for this place. I've enjoyed every minute of it, most every minute of it. <laughs> there have been some hard spots. And I'll be honest with you, if you're around one community for 50 years, there's gonna be some hard spots, there are. Uh, as, a, as a young minister and even as a young kid, there were some leaders here that had some moral failures that were pretty devastating to somebody pretty new in their faith just trying to figure things out. But then on the flip side of that, having the privilege and honor of walking with those people and watching how the church handled them and forgave them and restored them and restored families and restored leadership, it was profound. I came to the realization that while I love this place, there are some things about my religious upbringing here that I had to reconsider. This was a standard evangelical church in the 80s and the 90s. And I realized that a standard evangelical church of the 1980s, when that was my formative years of faith and life, came with some pretty heavy burdens. A pretty heavy burden that, you know what, you need to really do a lot. You need to read the Bible kind of a lot and pray a lot and make sure you obey and make sure you give and make sure you serve and make sure you're here. And there's a lot of burdens on a little you know, kid who grew up to be a young man trying to follow God, but carrying the weight of these religious expectations. There were a lot of religious expectations. And so even as someone who was you know, born and raised in church, as a high school kid, I never really had the confidence that I was good with God. Never. 
Never had the confidence that I was really good with God because while grace was talked about and grace was certainly the foundation, there was a lot of expectations put on young people in particular. And I felt the weight of that. I also felt the weight of reconsidering that in the 1990s, really going through a period of what's called you know, deconstruction where some of the things I learned about and was raised with, I started reconsidering and questioning and doubting. And that's a very, very painful thing to participate in. It really is. When your entire life is based on a way of relating with God that's based on do this, do that, obey, you know, behave, be here, do all these things you're supposed to do, and then to realize, you know what, I'm not quite sure all of these things are right. I'm not sure all these things align with Jesus. And you start to reconsider and doubt and maybe be cynical about a few things. That's a painful journey. Deconstructing your faith in ways is a painful journey. But this church was gracious through it all. Gracious through it all. And so I kind of, you know, went through the ranks of, of leadership and staff here and have had a wonderful journey. But I'll tell you, the last four or five years hasn't been easy either. The last four or five years hasn't been easy for any church anywhere. And Ranch has been a part of that. As the church became kind of the center of political life, as political parties are kind of using the church to, to promote their politics, now the church becomes a political animal. And now churches all over the place have had to really decide where they align with. Do they align with red or blue? They align with the D or the R, and Rancho hasn't aligned with any of it. Any of it. And we've said, we're gonna advance the cause of Christ. And R's are welcome and D's are welcome and reds are welcome and blues are, are welcome. And some people haven't been down for that. I mean, haven't been down for that. And they've left. Some people have been down with that and they've come. But that whole kind of reshuffling of the last several years has not been easy. It's not been easy. But through all of this, I can say that whether things were good in seasons or whether things were a struggle in seasons, I have enjoyed it all. And I don't plan on leaving. I've been here 50 years and I'm gonna be here the next 50 years if I have that long. Until they throw me in a ditch in the back, I'm here. I am here. I enjoy church. But a lot of people don't. The stark reality is so many people, in fact, the data says most people don't enjoy church. Let me throw a couple things your way. 70% of young people who grew up in church leave the church. 70% of young people who grew up in church leave the church. Here's a quote from a research institute who studies this data. The reality is that churches continue to see the new generation walk away as young adults. Regardless of any external factors, the church is slowly shrinking from within. And the only thing I would disagree with about that sentence is that it's not slow. We'll see a graph here in a minute. The church is falling off a cliff nationally, even globally. And so I've done a lot of research into this. The Barna Research Institute, David Kinman Research Institute, the Pew Research Institute, the Brookings Institute, and thousands of books and blogs and periodicals have been written on this subject and have come up with four distinct reasons why people do not enjoy church. So we're gonna talk about four reasons people don't enjoy church and then four reasons why people do enjoy church. We're gonna move pretty quick, so uh, hang on to your seats here. Ready? Number one reason why people do not enjoy church is infighting infighting. You want to fight, go to church. I mean, that's the way it goes. Church is fighting internally. Oh, I, I think the, the, this should be the style of worship. I don't think this person should lead. I think this doctrine, no, this doctrine. It's endless. 
endless. Should we talk about politics? Shouldn't we talk about politics? Where do we make a stand? Where do we don't, right? All kinds of worship wars and style wars and dress code wars and lists of doctrines, endless lists of doctrines to fight about. It is remarkable. It's remarkable. We are world famous for infighting. So the church has been around for 2,000 years. How long have we been famous for infighting? What's the answer? 2,000 years. The first letter written to the church in the New Testament is all about fighting. Galatians 5.15, the apostle Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The apostle Paul was watching the church at Galatia fight and destroy each other. And he writes the entire book of Galatians saying, hey, listen, I know there's differences here. You have cultural differences. Jews over here, Gentiles over there, and you don't like each other. You have religious differences. Jews, you adhere to the Old Testament, Greeks, Gentiles, you do not. And I understand there's some differences here. Can we be unified in God's grace instead of ripping each other apart? Can you stop the infighting? And their answer was, no, nah, we're going to keep fighting. <laughs> That's typical. Second reason why people don't enjoy church is it tends to be unthinking, unthinking. Church life can be generally resistant to people who have doubts or questions, people who might veer away from the party line of the church. That's really not tolerated. If you ask a question, if you say to yourself or say to somebody, God forbid, I'm not sure I'd, I'd buy that. I mean, try saying that in a church. Hey, the pastor just preached a sermon. I'm not sure I'm down with that. You will get, I mean, the dirtiest looks. I'm telling you, I love that here. My favorite emails are when somebody says, hey, nice sermon, but I didn't buy this. I'm like, hey, that's fantastic. That means what? We're using our heads, right? We're using our heads. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means if you have a question, if you have a problem, if you have a doubt, if something you believed in your youth, you're not buying anymore or you're not thinking aligns with Jesus, it's okay. In fact, I think it's even encouraged in the Bible. I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Do not treat preaching with contempt. And the word preaching and prophecy is kind of interchangeable. Do not treat preaching with contempt, but test it all. Hold on to what is good. Don't you love that? The Apostle Paul at Thessalonica, also handling infighting, is saying, hey, listen, you're gonna hear a lot of voices, a lot of prophecies speaking out God's word, a lot of preaching, you're gonna hear it all. Use your head, test it. Some of it's gonna be good, some of it's gonna be bad. Some of it's gonna align with Jesus, some of it's not. Test it all, hang on to the good. Don't you love that? Don't look down on preaching, but think it through. We had a 10-week summer seminary uh, this last summer. I didn't think anybody was gonna show up, but a handful of people. We had 200 sign up any given week, 100, 110 showed up. And, and I'm talking about vibrant conversations during and especially afterwards where people are wrestling through what they've always taught, wrestled through how they've always interpreted this passage, wrestled through God's saving work. I mean, what a wonderful thing it is to ask questions, have some doubts, and talk it through together. One of the things the church is probably most famous for over the last 2,000 years is rejecting science. I mean, just a flat-out rejection of science. And there's some very, very famous instances of Galileo and Copernicus. You know, they're looking through the, this curved glass, and they're saying, I think, I think we're revolving around the sun. 
I don't think the sun's revolving around the earth. And then I think this whole thing's moving. The sun's moving and the earth is moving. They darn near killed him. The church darn near killed him for just observing science, right? Nature. Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, when we started this Enjoy series, the first sermon was Enjoy Being Alive. And, and I just thought, hey, let's just start from the beginning. Let's start from the great inflation of the cosmos 13.7 billion years ago. And we just talked about the commonly held cosmology models, right? And we just embraced what we're learning, what we've learned from the Hubble telescope and now the James Webb telescope, just looking the way we've been looking for 500 years, but instead of rejecting that, let's embrace this. And yes, it challenges perhaps what we were told to believe about the Bible when we grew up. So, sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes interpretations are wrong. And sometimes when we look at the smallest subatomic particle to the most grand, you know, cluster of galaxies that are 10 billion light years wide, we are looking in the face of God. It's almost like another word of God, what we're seeing in, in the cosmos from the biggest to the smallest. Psalm 19, one through two says this, the cosmos declares the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. What does the Bible say? We call the Bible the word of God. What does the word of God say? The word of God says nature is also the word of God. What we discover what we see of the handiwork of God. It says right here, it proclaims, it speaks of God. Let's no longer reject science. Let's no longer reject our brains. I mean, let's embrace the work that God has for us to look, to explore, to discover God himself through creation. Third reason why some people do not enjoy church is that it can become irrelevant. And this has been a reputation for quite some time. That church life just sometimes doesn't hit where we live. You know, we live in the real world. I've got a real family and a real job. I live in a real neighborhood, right? I interact with real people. Now, sometimes I go to church and I, and I don't necessarily sense any connection there. How does this hour of church intersect at all with my real world? How am I changed? How am I equipped? How have I grown as a person to, to really impact the real world around me? And sometimes it just doesn't connect. Sometimes there's, there's language that we use, which no one uses outside of religious environments. And I get that to a degree, and I'm sympathetic to that, right? Because this is a faith world, and sometimes there's faith language in a faith world. But I think our faith is supposed to impact us and change us and equip us to make an impact on the real world around us. So every Sunday, my hope and prayer is that you get something out of here that really impacts you. Uh, in, in your intellect, in your heart, in your motivation, in your inspiration that can make a difference in your home and in your neighborhood and in your workplace. Jesus says this, famously in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14. Jesus looks at us, followers, followers of Christ and says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. What is Jesus saying? You're hanging around me, not to just be a little cluster that's separate from the world, I'm equipping you to be the light of the world. I'm equipping you to, to bring the light of heaven into the darkness of the world, to make a real difference in the lives around you, particularly with people in need, to love them, to serve them, to care for them, to change people's lives for the better because of your love, because of your care, because of your generosity. Jesus says, I am sending you and equipping you to be the light of the world. There needs to be a real difference made 
because we follow Jesus in the real world around us. And, and a lot of that should take place in church, whether it's church services or small groups or wherever. We need to be relevant. Fourth reason why people do not enjoy church, and this is very obvious, it tends to be quite judgmental. It tends to be quite judgmental. Here's the very, very sad irony of the church, particularly the Christian church. Our faith is entirely based on the proclamation that we're forgiven by God's grace in Jesus Christ. You go to most churches, they have crosses. We got crosses everywhere, right? We have the, uh, the OG cross in the West Building. It's 54-year-old cross. And then we've got the cross here on this building. It's about 20, 30, no, gee, wow, 35 years old. And we've got a cross that was handmade out there by that fountain. We've got crosses everywhere, right? Why do we have a cross? Because our message is that the love of Jesus, the sacrificial love of Jesus, he gave his life declaring the message of God's grace for everyone, God's forgiveness given freely to the world. Jesus gave his life for that cause. So the irony is, if our core message is forgiveness, why are we so interested in calling out sin? 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says this. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Through Jesus, God brings the world to himself freely by grace, not counting people's sins against them. Emphasis intentional. Not counting people's sins against them. Yet you go to a lot of churches, what do they want to do? Call out sin, call out sin. This person needs to know they're a sinner. They need to know that that is sin. We spend like a career pointing out sins when our core message is that God doesn't count our sins against us. Do you see the irony of that? Shouldn't be lost on us. It's certainly not lost on the people who left church. They see it so clearly. You talk about love, you talk about grace, you talk about forgiveness, and yet you're counting people's sins against them in church. Are you serious? So God forgives sin through Christ and doesn't count sins against us, yet church calls out sin and counts sin against others. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Maybe some of you can relate with these reasons why church is not an enjoyable place sometimes. And it has real and devastating consequences. I'm gonna show you a very heartbreaking graph. This is just a graph, but it will break your heart. This is from the uh, Barna Institute. This is the state of the church. Let me show it to you. In 2009, which is right about here, 2009, 50% of Americans were faithfully engaged in Christian churches. 50% of Americans. Now, that number is 25%. In 11 years, half the church is gone. 11 years, half the church is gone. This doesn't even include the last two years of kind of the pandemic world that we're thankfully out of. Who knows what's happened from there? This is alarming. This is shocking. This is stunning. In America, half the church is gone. It has consequences. When church life doesn't align with Jesus, there's significant consequences. 
read the Gospels, people flocked to Jesus. By the tens of thousands, people flocked to Jesus, yet people are running from church. You have to reconsider. So you want to flip to the good news? I'm ready. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Two-thirds of those who dropped out of church are open to coming back. Isn't that kind of cool? Two-thirds of the people who have left the church, two-thirds of the 70% of young people who are gone, two-thirds of the 50% of the church that has gone, two-thirds are willing to come back. But here's what's got to happen. They'll come back to a church that's very unlike the church they left, right? They left a church they did not enjoy. They are ready to come back to a church they can enjoy. They're ready to come back to a church that's aligned with the church that Jesus envisioned, right? And I'm not saying this at all to say we've got it all together. I'm telling you right now, we don't, but we're trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. We want to be a church aligned with Jesus, which is why our mission statement says that we are a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. Advancing the cause of Christ, not advancing a religion, not advancing an institution, advancing the cause of Christ. Do we do that perfectly all the time? The answer is a hard no. Are we trying, desperately trying to have this church be the light of the world, the light of the community that Jesus envisioned it to be? The answer is yes. And that needs to be our journey together. Here we are broken, imperfect, fallible people trying our best by the power of the Spirit of God in us, by the power of the Word of God, by the example of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. God, would you help us be the kind of church that's aligned with Jesus? Help us to be the kind of church that people will enjoy. There's four things we're working on that we think people will enjoy aligned with the heart of Jesus. Enjoy the freedom of God's grace. Enjoy the freedom of God's grace. That is worth celebrating. That is worth enjoying. That should put a smile on our face, right? We're not doing the religious stuff. We're not doing the religious burdens. We're not doing the religious shaming. We're not doing the counting sins against people thing. That's, that's what religion does, right? We're not heaping expectations on people. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. You gotta read your Bible, you gotta pray, you gotta obey, you gotta be in church, you gotta give 10%, you gotta, 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 gotta. That's just the burdens that are on people that Jesus came to set us free from. You gotta love this passage, one of our favorites, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And he's talking about people with religious burdens. Come to me and I will give you what? Rest. Jesus says, following me should be easy. Following me should be light. Following me should be restful. You come to church and sometimes you get the same stuff. God's perfect, you're not, do better. Next sermon. God's perfect, you're not, do better. Next sermon. God's perfect, you're not, do better. How about a community of grace? I mean, we know where we're imperfect. We know where we have to improve, right? We'll help each other get better at life. Absolutely. We'll help each other become more loving and selfless. Absolutely. But the foundation under our feet is God's grace freely given through Jesus Christ, period, end of discussion. Now let's celebrate. Let's celebrate God's grace through music and let's have a good time doing it. Let's celebrate God's grace through the message and let's have a good time doing it. Enjoy the freedom of God's grace. As we do that, we can then enjoy each other. Enjoy making friends here, right? Enjoy hanging out with each other. Enjoy sharing a meal with each other. Enjoy a group. Enjoy serving together. I mean, let's enjoy just being here and being with each other and making friends. Acts chapter two, verses 46 through 47. 
everybody's been trying to get after this Acts chapter two culture. They really did love each other. They really did enjoy each other. This is when the church was five minutes old and this is what they did. You ready? They worshiped together at the temple each day. They loved being together, right? They met in their homes. So not just in church, but they met in their homes and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. You gotta love that. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. They were having a good time. They were enjoying each other. Their neighbors were enjoying each other. And each day the Lord Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It was contagious. They made the decision to be a community founded on God's grace. They made the decision to be together, to hang out together, to share meals together. And it became contagious. People were flocking to this brand new church. They enjoyed each other. Third, they enjoyed helping people in need, helping people in need. This really needs to be, needs to be, should be the center of the church's activity. In terms of what we do together as a church, this has got to be it. Enjoy helping people in need. Now listen, the church is good at worship services and good at programs and good at meetings and good at groups for sure. But you follow Jesus around for five minutes. What is Jesus doing? He's helping people in need. The church has got to be known for helping people in need need. I love Hebrews 10, 24. It says this, and I love the spirit of this, the tone of this. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So here's the vibe here. You have a bunch of people in church and they're saying, all right, let's get together. Let's get together and talk. Let's get together and brainstorm. That's the whole vibe here. Let's get together and and brainstorm. What, what could we do? What should we do together? What does Hebrews 10, 24 say? If you're gonna brainstorm on things we can do together, let's brainstorm. Let's think of ways to motivate each other toward acts of love and good works. Let's not get together and say, how can we build this place and how can we build us up and get people to our thing and our service and our program? Let's brainstorm ways we can help each other, motivate each other, do some good in this world, love our neighbors, reach out to people in need, make a difference. And I gotta tell you, I am most proud of Rancho Church because of this. We do this naturally. I mean, Wagar was all about all the things we're gonna do this fall to help people in need, and that's a short list. I'm telling you, you're gonna have a menu, I mean, a menu, printed menu, online menu of things you can do to help people this, uh, this season, leading in and through the holidays. And you're not gonna be able to do it all, We try to do it all, we can't, we gotta pick, you know, okay, we're gonna do this, 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 and this. Just pick the menu of ways you can impact your neighbor and help people in need this season. That's what Rancho does. Here's a short list of what we've done through this church. We founded and operate the local rescue mission, Community Mission of Hope. We started that in 2009 during the Great Recession. We operate the Empowerment Village in Rancho Domicidas for single mothers and babies. We operate Hope Family Housing in Marietta several houses for people facing homelessness. We helped launch the Outreach Farm Project that has since produced $3 million of produce uh, for families in need regionally. We helped launch and fund Imani uh, School for Orphan Children in Embu, Kenya. We founded and fund Plus One Palawano, a medical mission saving the lives of children on the island of Palawan in the Philippines. We have weekly celebrate recovery programs that over the years have helped over 1,000 people overcome addictions, habits, and hurts. We operate Thrive Special Needs Sunday School every week, plus Thrive Special Needs Prom and Special Needs Summer Camp. 
We have support groups and resource groups providing real help for hundreds of people every week with specialized needs. We help each other, we help our community, we help the world wherever we can. Rancho does this, we start these things, we found these things, we fund these things, there's so much that we do. And that's just us, a community of people, deciding that this following Jesus thing isn't just about coming to worship services, it's about getting involved and advancing the cause of Christ, particularly enjoying helping people in need. And then finally, we can applaud that, that's cool. And finally, as a church, we can enjoy having fun. Enjoy having fun. Now, I was a little reluctant to put this as a major point of a, of a message because the word fun is not in the Bible. The word fun is not in the Bible. I counted, this took me a long time. There are 783,137 words in the entire Bible. Fun is not one of them. So I thought, okay, we can talk about love, talk about enjoy, but the word fun isn't in the Bible. But there's a better word than fun in the Bible. It's the word joy. As we talked about early, earlier, joy is not a word we use in the real world out there. But I want us to understand that really what joy is, is a deep and powerful, almost overwhelming, overflowing fun. That's what the biblical word joy is. It's like fun plus. It's the word chara in the New Testament. And chara means this, a completely, exceedingly, abundantly great and full life experience. That sound pretty cool? That's biblical chara. That word is in the Bible hundreds of times. So the lightweight fun, like ride a roller coaster fun, that's not a word in the Bible. But fun plus, completely, exceedingly, abundantly great and full life experience, that is in the Bible hundreds of times. And so when we talk about enjoy, and when we talk about fun at church, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical chara, biblical joy. Almost every one of the letters in the New Testament ends with an invitation to chara. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with chara, fill you completely with joy, fill you completely with a sense of complete, exceeding, abundant, great, and full life experience. It is God's heart that we experience this joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. So this chara, this joy, this fun plus is meant to be experienced by God's grace. As we enjoy God's grace, as we enjoy each other, we enjoy helping people in need and we enjoy having fun. Not just to fullness, but overflowing. That's the biblical vision of enjoying church. Does it sound like fun? Absolutely does. Here's what's coming up at Rancho and we'll, and we'll close out. We are officially under construction on phase four here at Rancho and here's what you're gonna see. There's a construction sign out there. It's been there for a month and we've done squat. But as of Friday, we're officially under construction. All the pieces have come together. Everything we're doing in phase four for the church has to do with chara, has to do with joy, has to do with fun, everything. We've got our buildings. We've got our worship center. We've got our youth room, children's, all that stuff, classrooms. We got all that covered. What we're building that we'll get to experience on Sunday and we'll get to experience on Wednesdays and Thursdays is fun. Shaded patio areas, outdoor furniture, a place for youth to play on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, on Thursday nights, a children's playground out there. Uh, we're gonna be ramping up our children's center and our youth center both next door. You're gonna see every single place around here getting touched with little projects that are gonna increase the chara, 
increase the fun, increase our experience together as a family of faith so that when you leave church, you're not just gonna go out in the hot you know, uh, concrete, there's gonna be a warm and welcoming patio with furniture and food and drinks and your kids can play over there and it's all fenced and secure and wonderful. Hang out, get to enjoy each other, make some friends. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights in groups, Thursday nights celebrate recovery. Every corner of the campus is gonna have a little bit of touch of fun through phase four. It's gonna be great. And here's the goal. The goal is that church would be the kind of place that Jesus envisioned. And Jesus was clear. When he talked about church, when he talked about this new kingdom that's being established on earth through his people, he used the word party. He used the word party. Jesus says, you know what? I look at all of these uptight people and all of these religious temples and everything's all buttoned up. Everybody's all serious, laying burdens on everybody. Jesus says, we have to have a whole new thing here, a whole new thing. And he called it a new covenant. It's a new community, a new people, a new assembly, the church. And it needs to look more like a party. And so Jesus taught about the nature of this party in Matthew 22, it says, hey, the kingdom that I'm building is a kingdom like a big banquet hall. A big banquet hall where people are celebrating. They're, they're having a party together, celebrating each other, celebrating God, celebrating life. And Jesus says, here's how it's gonna go. The invitation is gonna go out to the elite people, the religious elite and the politically elite. And they're gonna say, no, thank you. They wanna stay in their uptight temples and their uptight religious. They don't wanna party. Jesus says, send the invitation everywhere to everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Take it to the people living under the bridge. Jesus says this, Matthew 22. Give that invitation to the people living under the bridge. Give it to the outcast. Give it to the poor. Give it to those who are labeled sinners. Get this invitation to everyone. Open the hallways wide and let them come in. Let the party begin. Then in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells another story. He says, it's like two sons, this kingdom of heaven, my church, is like two sons. One son is super uptight, one son is a, is a rule follower, always does the right thing. The other son is a stinker, the prodigal son, taking half of the family's wealth, squandering it, making a bunch of mistakes, just squandering it all to poverty. And in that poverty, in the mud with the pigs, thinks to himself, I can go home and maybe I'll be a servant in my father's estate. He comes home and the father's heart never left his son. The father runs to his son, embraces his son just as he is, screams out to everyone, put the family ring on his finger, bring the best family clothes for his back. Let's let's make the best meal for my child because he was once far and now he is near. He was once lost and now he is found. And the dad shouts to everyone, let the party begin. What is church supposed to be? What is the kingdom of heaven supposed to be that the church ushers into the world? It's supposed to be a party where everyone is invited, everyone. Everyone who once thought they're not worthy, they can come in. Everyone who was once rejected, they can come in. The poor, the sick, the ones labeled sinners by the religious elite, come in. The doors are wide open for you. If you have made mistakes in your life and you have squandered it and you have experienced the worst shame imaginable, 
Let the heavenly Father shout to you and to the world around you. Put the family ring on my child. Put the best family clothes on my child. Let's make the best meal for my child who was once lost and now is found. Let the party begin. Let's pray. God, there are a lot of reasons why people may have left the church that bears your name. And I think we would all be able to confess that there's parts of that that we might have contributed to. We might have been judgmental. We might have looked down on people. We might have been a little hypocritical. Maybe we've shut, up, shut off our minds to new ideas, to new ways of thinking. Maybe we've been resistant to let people doubt and question and consider their own faith. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give all of us if we have contributed to this world, largely rejecting you and your church. Help us also get back to that very, very simple idea that Jesus had 2,000 years ago, that there is a new kind of community that is being born, a new kind of community that follows Jesus, does not follow a religion, but follows Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity. We follow Jesus, who gave love and grace and forgiveness, who laid his life down for this cause, who resurrected not to just show that love and forgiveness is victorious, but resurrected to be the head of the church. So we follow the risen Jesus. Help us as we can to create the kind of church community that the world will flock to as they flocked to Jesus. A new community that is founded on grace and love and selfless service, meeting the needs of those who are lost, using our heads to think through our faith, being kind and warm and friendly, so that we can say to the world genuinely, all are welcome and let the party begin. A celebration of you, a celebration of your son Jesus, a celebration of your spirit's work in us, a celebration through music, a celebration through your word, a celebration through everything we do to advance the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. In his name we pray, amen. amen.